Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, and thanks for joining me for this episode of Understanding Business. This is utlradio.com, your business success and legal information station, and I'm your host, Peter Lamont. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with two former U.S. Navy SEALs, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, and they are the authors of Extreme Ownership, How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win, and we're very excited to be talking to them today. We're going to be talking about their book and some of the leadership principles that we can apply in, in the business world. And I have to say, I have read hundreds of leadership books, and this one stands out as being unique because it almost reads like a novel. You know that it's based off of actual uh, events that these guys went through in their military career, and they apply some of these events to um, you know, business and leadership strategies, and they, they write the book in such a way that you know, you're actually like reading this story and you become engrossed in some of the events and the things that they've gone through, and then you can extract from the story itself some of these leadership principles. And they're unlike other leadership books that I've seen out there, especially those written by, by you know, some other former military guys. They kind of just recite things. This is brand new and unique, so we're going to be talking about that today. Uh, Jocko and Leif, I'd like to welcome you to the show, and thanks for being on today. Peter, thanks for having us on. Thank you. Congratulations on the book, because like I just said, I mean, I really have read hundreds of leadership books, and I haven't seen one like this that really kind of combines history and real-world uh, events, and, and it's, it's exciting. I mean, like, you want to read the book, and then you get hit with the leadership principle as well. So I think it's a great job. Thank you very much. We appreciate that, and it's, it's great to hear this positive feedback from you and from others. Well, you know, I'd love to talk to you about a ton of things, you know, how uh, principles in this book can perhaps affect today's world, all the things that have happened over the weekend. And I'd love to talk to you about that, but I think we're going to save that for another day. Hopefully you'll be back on. Uh, and I'd like to focus on sort of some of these principles that you talk about in the book and how we can apply them in the business sense. So let me start off by asking you this, you know, a common you know, issue that comes up all the time when you're talking to people about leadership is this idea of are leaders born or are they made? And I want to see what you guys think about that principle. You know, are leaders born or are they made? Well, you know, I think you get a little bit of both. Uh, there's definitely some qualities and characteristics that some people are born with that maybe they have some strengths, maybe they're charismatic, maybe they're eloquent when they speak, maybe they can put their ideas together quickly, and that's definitely going to be beneficial when it comes to being a leader. There's some people that are lacking those, and uh, sometimes a little bit more challenging for them. What we have found is that leaders that are on any any part of that spectrum from either, you know, very naturally talented to, to folks that are struggle a little bit more, the, the most important thing that we look for in leaders and what we find to be the biggest pillar to success is a leader that is a humble person that can take critique, that can assess themselves honestly, 
that can envision new ways of doing things and don't think they already know everything because both Leif and I have seen leaders that were very charismatic, very good speakers, but they had a certain arrogance about about them and that can that you know was often their downfall and on the other side you know we we knew leaders that maybe weren't the the most well spoken people but at the same time they were humble and they led from their heart and and they became very successful leaders and you know it's really it's important i think to point out that you guys are the real deal you guys have been in combat situations you're part of the, the SEALs, which everybody knows is such an elite organization, and, and it's not something that everyone that signs up gets into the SEAL program, and you know, there's so few of you guys. So this experience that you talk about in the book, this is something that you really can't get from somebody else who just happened to be in the military. This is a, a distinct sort of training routine that you guys go through, and is leadership something that comes out of the SEAL training programs? Well, look, we definitely uh, we definitely have some extraordinary leaders in the SEAL teams. We work with extraordinary guys, and uh, we have a great uh, great screening process that we put those folks through. But I think you know the the quality that Jack was just talking about humility. I mean, you know, when you start using words like elite, you know, special, uh, you know, the best of the best. I mean, when you start believing that stuff, uh, is when you're going to set yourself up for failure. I mean, the reality is. There, we have extraordinary U.S. military servicemen and women in all services that we work with, and uh, we work very closely with Army soldiers and Marines um, and, uh, in the Battle of Ramadi who were extraordinary, did exceptional things. And, and the, the only folks that we really see, whether in the SEAL teams, in the regular military, or certainly in the business world now that we work with, the, the leaders that we've seen that, that fail are those folks that can't do what Jocko was just talking about. They can't check their ego. They can't accept criticism. And those folks, they fail and they fall flat on their face and they're a disaster. Uh, and so you, you really can't, uh, you know, we, we have got a great group of guys um, that we work with in the SEAL teams. We're very proud of the extraordinary warriors that we served alongside. Um, but, you know, we, we're confident in what we're able to do and what we can accomplish. You can never be cocky, though, and start believing your own press and thinking that you're better than everybody or nothing bad can happen to you because that's a moment you're going to get your butt handed to you. Right. Now, in the book, you guys talk about uh, two types of leaders. There's good leaders and bad leaders. Can you talk about some of the characteristics of good versus bad leaders? Well, again, it's, it's the topics that we've just talked about. And the biggest, the single biggest differentiator between those two is someone that's arrogant and someone that's not, someone that's humble. You know, so, someone that's humble is going to, again, they're going to take criticism. They're going to uh, assess themselves very stringently. And when something bad happens, they're not going to blame other people. They're going to take responsibility for what went wrong, and they're going to figure out how to fix it. Again, contrarily, someone that's not a good leader is going to, you know, blame other people, not take any ownership of anything that go, of what goes wrong, and they're, they're not going to end up being a good leader. And one of the key pieces of that is that when somebody exercises ownership and extreme ownership and they, and they take responsibility, that doesn't end with them. That, that attitude and that mindset spreads throughout the chain of command, and you end up with an entire team that's all taking ownership of their piece of the mission, and they all become problem solvers to get the mission done. Exact opposite happens when you get somebody that's a blamer, that likes to blame other people and doesn't take responsibility. That attitude also spreads throughout the chain of command, and you end up with a team where nobody takes responsibility for anything at all, and you can only imagine how that ends up. I'll add to that. One of the, uh, 
One of the major issues that we see, too, is leaders who, um, bad leadership, uh, leaders who fail to properly prioritize and execute. And so there are those folks that have uh, a hard time, you know, when, you're, when there's a dozen things that are bearing down on you and the pressure's on, you know, how does a leader take on all those things simultaneously? The answer is you can't. You have to take a step back analyze what is the highest priority problem, the highest priority task, get the team focused on accomplishing that task, and then move on to the next priority. If you try to take on a dozen problems at the same time, I don't care how good you are, you pretty much fail at all of them, and that's generally what happens. So we do see some, uh, some folks that struggle with that, and good leaders are able to do that. They're able to detach themselves from a situation, not be overwhelmed by events, but just to take a step back, quickly analyze the the, the, the problem, what, what we t- train our leaders to do is relax, look around, make a call. And that's really what prioritize and execute is about. Uh, and, and the ones that can do that well, do, do very, very well on the battlefield and certainly do well uh, in the business world or in life. Yeah, there's actually an excellent chapter in the book that talks about that. And, you know, it's certainly you guys lay out this whole idea of prioritizing and it makes good sense. Uh, I think it's a good point. Now, something that I, I want to talk about, because it kind of ties in with what you're saying about not being arrogant, you've got to be humble, but there's a recurring theme throughout all of the chapters, and that theme is confidence, that to be a successful leader, you have to have confidence. I think you actually say, to be effectively empowered to make decisions, it's imperative that frontline leaders execute with confidence. So I have some questions about that. First of all, there are times, I'm sure, or maybe you guys were faced with situations where your confidence wasn't what it needed to be. And there are times in the business world where you are in charge of something or spearheading a project, and you might not have that that level of confidence required. So how do you handle situations, either on the battlefield or in business, when you just don't feel as confident as you need to be? Well, first of all, it's it's important to note that there's a, there's a whole other part to that that we talk about in the book, and that's what we call the dichotomy of leadership, and that's all these different opposing forces that pull on you as a leader. You know, for instance, you need to be aggressive as a leader, you know, to make things happen. You've got to be aggressive, but at the same time, you can't be overbearing. Um, you need to be brave, but you can't be foolhardy. And the example that you just talked about is one that we bring up all the time. You, you need to be confident, absolutely, as a leader to put out word, to make people believe in what you're, that you believe in what you're doing, but you can't get cocky. So someone that be, has too much confidence and becomes overconfident, that will definitely impact their ability to assess themselves. Maybe they'll underestimate, underestimate the enemy, and that can be very problematic as well. Now, when you talk about how to gain confidence about what you're doing, well, there's all kinds of ways to make that happen. The most important thing is to believe in what you're doing and believe that you have the ability. Now, that doesn't mean uh, you, you, you wave a magic wand and all of a sudden you have, to, you have the belief. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is in order to believe in what you're doing, you've got to understand why. What is the strategic measure? What is the strategic reason why you're executing this mission? Why is it important? And if you don't understand why, you have to ask the chain of command. You have to ask people above you to explain, hey, why is this important? Why are we doing this? And they're going to give you a good reason. And if they don't, then you need to keep digging until you figure out why you're doing what you're doing. Because you've got a mission to accomplish. It must align with the strategic goals. And when it does align with the strategic goals and you understand that, then you are going to have confidence in your in your ability to execute. You talk about the reason why and you talk about you know the fact that people don't follow robots, they follow people. And there's a chapter dedicated to this, this um, 
idea of, of making sure that you understand why you're doing something. And I think what you do is you reference the fact that a lot of people have this misconception that in the military, it's like drones. There's a commander, you do what the commander says, you don't ask questions, and you kind of just um, take that the opposite way and say that's not true, because if it was true, then nobody would follow because we don't follow, we're not robots. So that's a good point. Is, is that something that, because um, it is something that I think a lot of people kind of misunderstand about service, about military service. They kind of think that you just do what you're told, but that doesn't seem to be what actually happens. And for folks that aren't connected to the military or don't fully understand or appreciate that, we, we get that sometimes in, in the corporate world when companies who work with say, yeah, well, what you're talking about doesn't apply because people have to do what you say. And, and you know, the reality is if Jocko told me to uh, take my SEAL platoon, go out on the battlefield, do something that I thought was crazy, that I thought was stupid, that I thought was going to get half of us killed, that wasn't going to accomplish the mission, it wasn't a mission that I believed in or didn't think was worth the risk that we were taking, you know, what's my reaction going to be? I'm like, no, hell no, I'm not doing that. I mean, and even if I pretended to do it, Maybe I go outside the, the gate and then camp down, uh, you know, pretended that we did something uh, and say we did when we, when we actually didn't. So, you know, you have to get people to believe in what they're doing uh, in order to go out and achieve that. And, and that's really what combat leadership is about, getting a diverse group of people to uh, work together to accomplish a mission, just as, as Jocko talked about. And, and that doesn't mean that, that Leif is going to – I'm going to give Leif an order to do something and he's just going to disobey me. No, we're a team. And we're going to talk about what we're trying to get done. We're going to talk about the best way to get it done. If there's something that Leif doesn't understand about why we're doing this particular mission, he's going to ask me. He's going to not risk his guys and himself on something that he doesn't understand. And that's incumbent upon a good leader is to make sure that you fully understand what the mission is. And as a senior leader, it's incumbent that your folks understand exactly why they're doing what they're doing. And that's how you build a real team. When everybody understands what the mission is, you all move towards that common goal. That's what it's all about. And we always had a great relationship, you know, to, to Jack and I were able to talk about this stuff. I could, I could go in his office, uh, talk over this stuff. Um, you know, he'd come into our mission planning space, talk over this stuff. So we, we constantly had that communication going back and forth. I knew that he, uh, you know, he had a good sense about what our mission was and what we should be doing. I trusted in his leadership. I knew that he wouldn't tell us to do anything that, uh, you know, that he didn't fully believe in himself. So uh, you've got to have those, those relationships, and, and uh, leaders have to be open to their people, uh, coming in and asking them those questions and be able to explain it and encourage them to do that. Now, let's talk for a second about small business. Perhaps it's a business where it's, you know, one person who owns the business and then you've got a few people working for you. You know, sometimes people in that situation find themselves struggling with this idea of leadership because everything seems to fall on their shoulders. So how do your principles apply to a small business owner? Well, there's a real clear and crisp uh, uh, model for that we, that we talk about in the book, and that's decentralized command. And what that means is as a leader, you've got to recognize that you're not going to be able to do everything yourself. And so what you've got to do is you've got to push that mission down, push those tasks down to the people below you, and then you have to give them the ability to execute on their own. That doesn't mean that they go out and do whatever they want. What it means is that you set the parameters that they can work within. You give them very clear guidance about what the mission is, what the end state is, and then you let them go and execute it. And that's the way you, you decentralize that command, and it makes you infinitely more effective as a leader. Now, you know, I remember a chapter in the book where there was a, a, um, an explanation given. You were working with a company, 
and there was this issue of whether or not they should terminate an employee. And I don't remember the specifics, but I want to talk for a second about, you know, you as a leader, when you're delegating, when you're, you know, giving people the mission and you're saying, here, go do this, I want you to do it, and they're not doing it. Now, let me ask you, in, in the SEAL operations, did you ever encounter, or in the military in general, ever encounter a soldier who was either unwilling to follow or just unable to do what needed to be done, and that person had to be either reassigned or let go in a way? Absolutely. In fact, in our in our task unit of 36 SEALs, uh, we had one officer and one junior enlisted uh, guy that we had actually had to let go. And, uh, that you know, that's always a, a tough thing to do. Uh, but at the end of the day, you, you know, your loyalty has to be to the team uh, over uh, any, any one individual. And so what we always talk about with that is, you know, there, there's really if, – if the team is not doing what they need to do, if they're not accomplishing the mission, then it's really only three things, right? Either a leader hasn't explained what you need to do, what the mission is and how they can accomplish it, Two, hasn't provided the resource and training they need. Or three, hasn't gotten rid of the people that don't need to be there and brought in new people that can get it done. I mean, it's, it's really those three things. If you're going to talk about extreme ownership, you have to own it as a leader. And so, you know, generally, most of the time, most people want to be part of a winning team. Believe it or not, we, we talk to bosses sometimes. They're like, you know, they want us to come in and whip their team into shape and think we're going to, we're going to actually, like, get them to be those robots that they believe the military to be, which we've already explained is not true. So, you know, what you have to do is you have to lead them. And, and there's always some element of people that are, you know, not as good as others necessarily. But, but most people want to be part of a winning team. They just need leadership. They need a forcing function to get them to work together, explain what the mission is, get them the resources, get them to work together as a team in order to accomplish that mission and win. And so that just requires leadership. And I think once leaders take that on, understand that that is what their job is, uh, that every leader deals with that, even in an organization that is, you know, so highly screened, like the SEAL teams. I mean, even in the the, the National Football League, you know, even Major League Baseball, uh, even in the best, uh, uh, you know, the, the best uh, run corporations out there, um, you've got people that are not all stars um, that you got to work with, and, you, and they need to be led. They need to be led, and that's what, what leaders have to step up and lead them. Now, I would imagine that if you find somebody who's incapable of doing what you need to do in in the military, that because people's lives are at stake, you got to kind of end that relationship immediately. You don't let it just fester and, you know, you wait weeks before you fire this person. So how important is it in business to take that same approach and, and to end it as quickly as possible? Because I'm sure you guys have dealt with companies where they're they're keeping people because they feel bad or they just don't want to deal with it, you know, and they're not contributing to the team. Well, there's, there's no doubt that when it comes to a point where you have to to fire somebody, um, first of all, it should never be a surprise to them, and it should always, you know, you should prepare them for that. You should have counseled them. You should have given them written counseling. You should have explained to them what the expectations were and what they need to do to meet those expectations and what the consequences of not meeting those expectations are. Now, one of the reasons that leaders sometimes feel uh, some level of guilt when they fire somebody is because as a leader, they haven't done their job. They haven't mentored. They haven't taught. They haven't given that person the opportunity. They haven't trained them right. And so when they fire them, they know it's actually their own shortcomings that have brought that situation to bear. So I always say it's very important to, to follow up with people, make sure they understand what the expectations are, and clearly know what the consequences are going to be if, if they don't meet the expectations. 
And and to your point, I mean, it's actually believe it or not difficult to fire someone in in you know from from a in the SEAL teams in the Navy in the military. I mean, you can't even if lives are on the line, you you have to go through a big process. You have to document it with paperwork. It's it's kind of like going through HR at a big corporation. Um, it's it's really no different. It's very similar. So um, it's not just as easy as like this person's not good enough. They're not meeting them in the cut. Fire them. So so it's difficult to do that. Um, you know, I I will say for. Uh, you know, for for firing folks, just as Jocko said, it, it is the the biggest issue that we see, and we saw it in 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 the military. It's even in the SEAL teams, believe it or not. Often you get leaders who don't want to have a tough conversation with uh, with with subordinates that aren't doing what they need to do, employees that aren't doing what they need to do, and this happens in the companies we work with. So that you know, behind closed doors. Those leaders are talking about how screwed up this employee is, how they need to fix themselves. But then when you bring them in and talk to them uh, face-to-face, it becomes, you're doing a great job. You know, there are a couple of things we need to work on, but mostly you're doing a great job. And it's almost this, this false cheerleading that's going on. So that, that person leaves there thinking they're doing a great job. Why would they change? And so, you know, ultimately, if leaders are going to look out for their people Doing that is not doing that person any favors because you're setting them up for failure. If you're going to mentor and train them and have a direct conversation and saying, listen, you're not meeting the standards and we've got to get you there, uh, and that's what leaders have to do. I mean, we talk about it's not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. When you're talking about people that aren't meeting standards, you can't tolerate it. You have to push them to meet the standards to get it done. And so uh, ultimately that's, that's looking out for your people long term is pushing them to succeed, to do their best so that they don't get fired, but they actually, they actually do well and grow and learn and, and become better. And that's really the point of your book. It's extreme ownership, not extreme leadership, because you know, the idea of owning your responsibility of, of saying to yourself, hey, my employees aren't functioning properly, is it's them. You know, that's, that's, I think, a characteristic of a bad leader, whereas a good leader says, you know, let me look and make sure that I'm not responsible or how could I make this better? So, you know, to me, that's what this book really signifies, this idea that leaders have to take extreme ownership of everything that goes on, everything that's in their charge. You just summed up the broad idea and the most important idea that we try to get across in the book. So I'm glad that you, I'm glad that the, the idea was clear enough and, and you captured it. That's, that's exactly right. Now, you know, let me ask you a question about something that, that creeps in, I think, to every leader's mind. And I would imagine, you know, I've never been in the military and I can't imagine the stuff that you guys go through, both on the training or on the live combat. But I would imagine that fear is something that creeps into your mind at at different points of your military career. And certainly fear is something that creeps into the mind of CEOs and managers, you know, that point where they're not sure if they're doing the right thing. And then they start to develop this sense of, of absolute fear. And it's almost, you know, paralyzing. And I would imagine that when you guys are out there, you're facing a gun battle. You must be afraid at some level. How do you process and handle fear as a soldier, and how should we process it as CEOs and leaders? Well, everyone has got to deal with fear. I mean, I mean, this idea that like there are people that are fearless out there that have no fear um, is just simply not true. And so, what you can't do is have fear that's paralyzing that prevents you from actually acting 
and making decisions and getting something done. You know, uh, believe me, a little bit of fear, uh, at least, uh, you know, uh, some, some nervousness about, hey, this could go wrong, this could go really badly. That's kind of a good thing to make sure that you're not getting cocky, you're not getting overconfident, um, to, to, to make sure that you've thought through all those things that might lightly go wrong and prepare for them so your team is ready for the, for the worst-case scenario. You know, so you want, you want some of that. You don't want people to be uh, thinking that nothing could possibly go wrong because that's, that's when bad things happen. Um, but I, I think that uh, we wrote, wrote a chapter about this uh, called you know, Decisiveness Amid Uncertainty. Everyone has got to be on the battlefield. You have to you have to be comfortable with the fact that you don't have all the answers. There is no one hundred percent right solution, and and, uh, and and so it's the picture's never clear. You know, you're, if you're if you're patrolling down the street in, in the daytime, you know, patrol with a sniper Overwatch team covering you in downtown Ramadi. Um, and all of a sudden bullets start flying around. I mean, you, you don't know. It's not like the movies. You don't have the information of where the bad guys are, how many they are, where are they located. I mean, you may not even know. It's, it could be friendly shooting at you that just thought you're bad guys, and they're mistakenly you know, shooting in your, your direction. So all you can do is make the best decisions you can with the information at hand, knowing that it's never going to be clear, uh, the, the full picture. Sometimes, in, in, in some cases, even after the fact, it's never quite clear what exactly happened, and you can only just make, make the best decisions you can in those situations. That's really where prioritize and execute comes in, so that you're able to, to handle a multitude of things, handle the most specific problem, deal with that. But, uh, but you've got to be decisive. You can't be paralyzed because things are unclear, because things are complex. You have to be able to make a decision, execute, with precision, execute with confidence, knowing that this is the best move that you can possibly make with the information that you have. I think that's very important because I think a lot of leaders get hung up on this idea of well, what if this is the wrong decision and what if this doesn't go right? And then they start creating all of these things that could go wrong and then they make no decision or it forces them to make a very poor decision. So I, I think that that's an important point. The other thing that I would imagine, and you guys tell me if I'm right, your training is so um, extensive, and it's all about preparedness. So when you guys are done with training, even though maybe your first armed conflict or your first gun battle might be something that's, that's still scary, the, the training that you've gone through kind of prepares you for that. Is that, is that true? Well, the training that we go through, and, and when I talk about the training, I'm not talking about the basic training that we go through where you see, you know, the guys with the, the boats on their head and, the, and carrying the logs around and doing a bunch of push-ups and pull-ups in the right. sand and cold water and stuff. That training is not r really what the SEAL teams is about. In fact, that is just a basic course that weeds out people that don't really want to be there. The training that we talk about is the training where you actually get put under real pressure, under the simulated stress of combat, where we... As trainers, and both Leif and I ran training, we make that training as realistic as possible, as stressful as possible, to try and get those, those leaders into situations where they have to be decisive during situations where they're not 100% sure what's going on, during uh, situations where they're not exactly sure what decision they should make. But they learn to react, to react confidently, and to make those decisions um, with authority, and yet, at the same time, always keep in the back of their head that they might have to adjust their plan on a, on a, in a split second because they read something wrong. And that's the kind of mindset that we look for, people that don't, get, don't make a decision and they're so dis decisive that they won't change it. Sometimes you make a decision, some, something develops on the battlefield, you might have to make an adaptation uh, uh, 10 seconds later, 10 minutes later, 10 hours later. And you've got to admit to yourself, okay, I read it wrong. 
here's what's developed. I'm going to change. Let's execute this other plan. And there's nothing wrong with that. And our our guys do become very good at it through the training that we go through. So, you know, how would training preparation apply in the business sense? I mean, don't don't you agree that the more we prepare our team in the business world for things that might come up, the more prepared they're going to be and the more comfortable they're going to be making those calls, those decisions like you guys go through in your training? There's no question about that. It directly applies. And if, if you want to do good at something, then you have to rehearse it. You have to practice it. You know, if, if you're particularly in a situation that is, uh, that's difficult, that's outside of, of uh, people's comfort zones, particularly leaders' comfort zones, if you've already been in a situation like that in training, then you're able to handle those things in reality in a much better situation. Jock and I do this with our company now. We sit down and role play with people, uh, you know, with, with uh, problem employees, and so they, they have to kind of coach us into doing something that, that we didn't want to do. And and we we love to we love to do this, and it's it's fun to do that because it puts people in difficult situations. Then when they encounter that in real life, they can handle those problems, even if it's something that's maybe wasn't exactly like the training, but it set them up. To, to deal with an issue, gave them some principles that they can lean on. And that's exactly what our training does, uh, you know, in the SEAL teams. It enables you to be outside of your comfort zone, handle problems that you, you wouldn't otherwise necessarily be comfortable with, uh, plan for contingencies to think about what it's like. And it's, you know, it's not a plan in the movies, but we do rehearsals for everything. I mean, everything as simple as our patrol formations. You know, we, we would jock up in our full combat gear with our weapons clear and safe and just patrol around our camp just to practice our procedures to make sure that we had it down right, that we, you know, we needed to, to, to alter some things here and there to make sure we could do it better. We would unload and load into vehicles. That, that sounds very mundane, very simplistic, but guess what? It takes a long time to do that on target if you hadn't practiced it. Someone's tripping, climbing down a ladder out of some huge armored truck. And, uh, and look, if you can do that in 20 seconds, you're just a lot safer. It's a lot better. You're a lot more efficient, um, and that saves lives than if, you, if it takes you a minute to do that. So we have to... We have to practice that. We have to rehearse it. The most simple things uh, in, in the darkness, on night vision, that, those kind of things, if you've rehearsed them, uh, it just you're way better in execution if you've walked through, you've done rehearsals, you've planned on it, you've, you've trained, and you've done role, role, uh, role play to prepare you. So if you apply that to the business world, you know, going through your customer acquisition process or, you know, the, your workflow or how you use certain things, the more times that you go through it, it'll – a, get you more comfortable with what you're doing, but it's also going to help you see those areas that might be able to be improved. Because while you guys are doing the, the routine, you know, like the unloading and loading of the, the vehicles, you know, I'm sure that if somebody said, hey, maybe we could do this better, that that would be something that was addressed at that point. Is that right? Absolutely. The more iterations that we would do in training, the better we would get at something, the more uh, make our weaknesses stand out. And that's the same thing we find with, with business uh, groups that we work with. You know, we do these iterations, we put them in situations that I'll tell you, and it only takes two or three iterations sometimes of being in a really uncomfortable position where, you know, let's say you got to counsel someone that's got a huge ego. Well, how do you do that? It, that's a very challenging thing to do to try and get somebody that's got a huge ego that's maybe even a top performer, but there's some things that they're doing wrong or some things that they could do better, and they don't want to hear it. So how do you get through to them? Well, that's the exact uh, type of situation we might put our, leader, uh, put our, our business leaders through in a, in a training scenario, and you'll see over two or three or maybe four iterations, they'll become infinitely better at how to handle those types of people. And we do that with every type of personality that you could imagine. So it's, uh, it's, it's very effective in improving their leadership. 
Now, for those leaders out there that ha- they kind of shy away from those problem situations, what kind of advice would you give them? You know, because it sounds like this whole idea of, of extreme ownership is, you know, you find yourself in a, an uncomfortable situation, calm down, make your best call and execute. So what advice would you give to somebody who finds themselves, they're in a leadership position and, and they're uncomfortable in a situation. They're not sure. They're fearful. They've never dealt with this situation before. Let's say they're being sued by somebody or they've got a serious problem with a product that they put out. What would you tell them, you know, advice-wise? I would tell them that they've got to be default aggressive. They've got to be proactive. You know, for us, that, that's our mindset, our default mindset that we, we teach our guys is you've got to be aggressive. That means you're going to go out and accomplish the mission. You're going to take on that mission with everything that you got. You're going to overcome challenges, persevere through, uh, through problems, and, uh, and get the job done. And, and you've got to prioritize and execute, you know, in a situation like that. So those are the things that, uh, those are, the things that, uh, that are critical um, so that you're able to, to react, you're able to, uh, uh, you're able to, to w- whether it's a, a lawsuit, whether it's a, a situation that you're outside your comfort zone, if you're going to attack the highest priority issues, plan for contingencies, be ready to execute, you're going to succeed, you're going to do well. Now, you know, the other thing that you guys mentioned, and I, I think this is something that I think is important to address, this idea of, of nothing's perfect, because when you are making a call, you know, we just talked a few minutes ago about the idea of, you know, maybe acknowledging that, well, this was the best call I could have made at the time, but now things have changed. I've got to adapt to that. Leaders out there that are looking for perfection, what do you have to say to them? I think a leader that's looking for perfection is going to have a very hard time because it is very difficult to find perfection, especially in environments where there are so many unknowns. And what environments have unknowns? All of them. All environments have <laughs> Unknowns. All situations that you're going to be in have unknowns. So how do you, you know, that's that's part of being a leader is looking at what you know, understanding what you don't know, and then making decisions and plans based on on your assessment of the situation. Well, listen, guys, I want to thank you so much for being on today. Um, first of all, you know, thank you for your service to the country. And you do things that um, you know people like myself just I can't even imagine. And, and I appreciate what you guys do. So thank you for that. And the book is unbelievably well-written. It's a really good book. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the show. If the book sucked, I would tell you. I really think that it's something that um, everyone who's involved in an organization or a small business, you need to pick this up because it really does address things in a completely unique way. This whole idea of extreme ownership, of owning your life, your tasks, your responsibilities as a leader. I think it's a really unique take on, on leadership training. So I want to thank you for that. If people are interested in learning more about you, I know you have a company. What's the best way for people to contact you? Well, we have a website for our company, www.echelonfront.com. You can Google us. Um, you can Google Extreme Ownership. That'll get you to our Facebook page. Leif and I are both on Twitter um, at Jocko Willink and at Leif Babin, and you can follow us there as well. All right, well, I'm going to make sure to put links in the show notes so that if people want to contact you, as well as a link to the book. Um, but just great job, guys, and thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. And I wish you continued success with the book. Thanks for having us on. Thanks really a lot. It. Thanks a lot, Peter. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. Bye bye. So, uh, you know, great book, Extreme Ownership 
How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Uh, again, you know, I don't talk about things um, in a positive manner simply to blow smoke. And, you know, we, we, we're not getting anything from uh, the bulk. This isn't something that there's no advertising kickback here. That's not what this show is about. This show, as you guys know, that follow the show, is uh, trying to give you quality leadership, management, business content, as well as legal content. So, you know, this is not, hey, let's promote this book by these guys because, you know, here at UTL Radio, we're getting something. Absolutely not the case. This just happens to be an outstanding book on leadership. And what I find um, unique about this, what I talked about before, is this combination of bringing in the real world experiences these guys as SEALs have gone through. I mean, just that component makes the book interesting all by itself because what they're going through, what they do, it's amazing. And I really mean what I said to them about the fact that you know, we should all be thankful, appreciative, and, and be filled with respect for these guys because they put their lives on the line to protect our freedoms. And that's an amazing thing, everybody in the military. And, and we, you know, we appreciate that because without your service, you know, we wouldn't have the same freedoms that we do today. And, you know, aside from that, I and mean, just this, this sort of tie-in between what you can learn on the battlefield and how you can extract it and apply it to business, just really, really unique. There are a, a ton, a ton of lessons that we can learn from them. One chapter that I happen to like, um, I don't want to say the best, but I really do like it, is this idea of the dichotomy of leadership. And I just want to read something from uh, the, the text. You know, we talked about it briefly on the show, but uh, the dichotomy of leadership says a good leader must be confident but not cocky, courageous but not foolhardy, competitive but a gracious loser, attentive to details but not obsessed by them, strong but have endurance, a leader and follower, humble not passive, Aggressive, not overbearing. Quiet, not silent. Calm, but not robotic. Close with the troops, but not so close that one becomes more important than the other. And able to execute extreme ownership while exercising decentralized command. And I think that this is such an amazing list of items. You know, it says a good leader has nothing to prove, but everything to prove. And that's the dichotomy of, um, of of leadership. And it's uh, really, I think, well-written, well-put-together. So I want to thank the guys again for being on the show, for writing the book. And I'd encourage you, if you are a leader in any capacity, whether you own a small business and you've got a staff of one or two people underneath you, your leadership skills are just as important as if you're leading a team of 20 people. You know, leadership is leadership regardless of your situation. And I think that learning how to realize that you need to take this extreme ownership of your business, of what happens with your staff, with your customers, with your clients, I think is a very important lesson and one that you can learn through extreme ownership, how U.S. Navy SEALs lead and win. So thanks again to Jocko and Leif for being on, and uh, we will hopefully have them back on in the future to check in, see how the book is doing, and see what else we can learn from them. I will have uh, links to their information 
in the show notes today. And uh, I'd love to hear your feedback. Your guys, uh, you, you, my, my audience out there, the utlradio.com family, what you think about this. And uh, if you do pick up the book, let me know what you think about that. And, I'll, of course, we'll pass that on to, uh, to Jocko and Leif. So, um, you know, great book. And uh, thank you guys for, uh, for tuning in today and for listening to the show. Hopefully you learned a thing or two because I know that reading the book, I did. That's going to do it for today's show. Don't forget that we have a full packed schedule next week. It is Thanksgiving week, but we will have shows throughout the week. And uh, there's, you know, obviously our news coming up on Monday, our weekly news show. And then we've got legal Q&A Tuesday, followed by business Q&A Wednesday. And then Thursday, we have a special Thanksgiving show planned. So uh, tune into those. And don't forget that if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so that you're notified when new episodes come up. Today, for example, our show is at a special time, normally at 10 o'clock. You know, today it was at 2.30, and if you subscribe to the podcast, then you'll be notified when the episode is published, so don't forget to do that. And finally, there's a YouTube page that you need to subscribe to as well, because the content on the YouTube page is different than the podcast. They work hand-in-hand sometimes, but if you're not subscribed to both, you're not getting the full picture. And finally, everything is tied together over at utlradio.com. That's our main website where you can find links to the podcast, video links, everything is there for you. And remember, we're excited uh, about the new website that's going to be launched by the end of the month. So keep checking back for that. Uh, I think that as and I like it. I think it's going to work well. So uh, check that out. That'll be by the end of the month, utlradio.com. And don't forget to share this information with your friends, family, and colleagues, and let them know about utlradio.com, your business success, and legal information station. I'll see you next time. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.